favorite scary movie. Brookfield demon murder case. Hello, I'm Z. I'm Cody. And this is just a podcast where we talk about horror and monsters and all things creepy and crawly and fun. <laughs> yes, that's the plan. This week we are starting off with, uh, I guess, the new topic for horror movies in the years of 2020 and 2021 where there are no movies. Um, with Conjuring, the fairly freshly released, a week old, I think, at this point, uh, mm-hmm. Conjuring 3 and its two predecessors, and the wonderful story of Ed and Lorraine <laughs> and their craziness. Definitely crazy. All of her interviews, the hair, definitely crazy. Oh my god, she has like such an like 80s beehive like all the time. It's wonderful. <laughs> yes. She's, it's one of those, like, props for her for being an old lady with, like, enough hair that's strong enough to do that. That, number one, props for her for that. But it's, like, I always wonder with that type of stuff of, like, what do you have under there to make it that big? Like, what are you wearing on your head? Does she have, like, a smoky puff, but it's, like, in the back, <laughs> you know? Or is some, it just a wig? Some sort of, like, bun thing under there? I don't know. That's just... <laughs> so, do we want to start with the first Conjuring and work our way up, or Conjuring as a whole, or...? Oh yeah, that's a good question, and now my dog's gonna drink water. <laughs> um, I, I don't know, do you want to start with the newest one, talk about what we liked, what we didn't like, and then move into the entire franchise? Uh, sure. Um... I do think uh, we share a similar opinion over the new one, but whether or not it is a matter of uh, like what exactly makes us share this opinion is I'm curious to find out. But watching that movie, and this is probably maybe a little psycho in me, I fall asleep during <laughs> horror movies I don't like, um, which is not necessarily great. It makes me concerned for myself in some ways. But I fell asleep like halfway through, so it took me like three times to actually watch it all the way through because I kept falling asleep. So it's so funny that you say that because I started it that night that I told you I was going to watch it and I fell asleep. I had to watch it the (laughs) next day. I couldn't make it through. I was so disappointed. Oh my gosh. It's something else. Like, I don't even know necessarily what's so bad about it it's just it oh well i will say somebody was talking about the conjuring series as a whole Mm -hmm. and they did kind of make a point that the conjuring series has become less about the horror the conjuring three movies themselves the horror comes Mm -hmm. in the annabelle and the nun and these other ones it is kind of becoming this love story for ed and lorraine that just happens to be set around creepiness I can see that. Yeah, it, I mean, go ahead. Go ahead. 
<laughs> you know, for and for that criticism, and okay, so I had this same issue with Cabin in the Woods. I love Cabin in the Woods now. It just, the first time I watched it, I went in and I was expecting like non-parody. Like I thought it was just gonna be like a terrifying horror film. But I, 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 and so I didn't like it that first time I watched it because I was in the wrong mindset. I think if I went back and watched this one in the, the mindset of I'm basically watching a romantic drama, I'd probably like it better. Mm-hmm. And it's funny that you say that about Cabin in the Woods because I adored Cabin in the Woods so much. But it, because I think that one felt like a smart parody. Mm-hmm. It's really hard to find smart parodies of things, especially you know, growing up in our particular generation where we had like scary movies and like whatever the fuck the, the parody was of like Twilight mm-hmm. and everything. It just it hurts. But that was a smart parody. Um, yes. we, we need to talk about comedy horrors at some point on this uh, podcast um, sure. because I have a lot to say. <laughs> um, but when you think about the amount of time they devote to Ed and Lorraine, it feels like it grows more and more with each movie. Mm-hmm. It's like the first movie, you had the essentially the setup of them in the background. But then you had equal, if not more, time spent to the setup of the ghost. Mm-hmm. The second one felt more about Lorraine going psycho and like all of her visions and stuff. So you're getting mm-hmm. more of the character study. And this one was the Ed heavy movie in some ways mm-hmm. with his, his heart issues and stuff. Which I guess we should say spoilers if you've not seen Contract 3. If you've not seen it and you want to not be spoiled, don't watch until after you've seen it. Um, or don't Spoilers listen. Ahead. Um, and so, like, for me, when I go into a horror movie, I want to, I don't necessarily want to be scared because a lot of my favorite horror movies, I was not scared. They weren't scary mm-hmm. to me. But I want to engage with the monster, with the creepy, scary thing mm-hmm. more than anything else. And so if I don't get that, then it's not interesting. And this mm-hmm. one, it like the the bad guy, it felt like she was only in there for like two minutes total. Yeah. She was in there very, very little. I don't know if you mm-hmm. had that same reaction of like there wasn't enough of the bad guy or the bad thing. Yeah, kind of. And you know, so I, I feel very, very similarly with this one as I did The Nun in that it felt, I mean, this one, actually, now that you pointed out the romance, that's actually now that's where my mind is going, but it almost feels more like an action movie where they're like, you know, pursuing this bad guy or, or even pursuing a monster, but it it just, there was definitely something lacking in the horror that was in both the first and the second one where there was that like, like almost unhinged, um like malevolent energy and here it didn't feel like that and i think maybe because of who the villain or monster was it didn't it felt more um i don't know calculated um it it, like she was crazy but it wasn't crazy if that makes sense like she knew what she was doing it was very pointed if you will i have many opinions about the bad guy as well um (laughs) so for context, I have come off of uh, several religious studies degrees and certificates and stuff. 
And so I get really picky about certain words and certain betrayals. Mm -hmm. And the occultist, because they're calling her an occultist, which was a very specific choice Mm -hmm. to either not say witch or not say a cultist. Not O-C-C-U-L-T, but a C-L-T, a member of a cult. Um, Because it is coming off of that. So the occultist backstory, and again, I fell asleep during this portion and had to like rewatch it once or twice, so correct me if I am wrong. Um, It's the daughter of a guy who essentially went after cults and was trying to stop cults. And because he was so involved with that all the time, it got her into a cult, and not mm-hmm. a cult, but a cult stuff. And that is from somebody who has worked with with and around religion. In particular, my advisor for my masters specialized in non mainstream religions, which are cults. <laughs> it. It's so bad and so problematic and so twisted. And I understand why they don't want to say witch. Mm-hmm. But occultist is nearly as bad in some ways. It's just you're not going to have as many people up in arms about it because it's a slightly different reason for it being bad. Mm-hmm. And so I know you had an opinion about oh, occultist versus witch. Yeah, I'm I'm really shocked that they, a little bit, that they didn't want to go with witch because, you know, in the first one, the first Conjuring movie, uh, Bathsheba is a witch, or at least they, they say that word, that's what they call her, a, a witch. Um, and so I really thought that they would continue with that. And, you know, so we see the ghost side of the witch in the first one, and then here in the third one, we see the human side of the witch or the, I don't know, more mortal side of the witch. Um, but I think, and maybe this is just me, I think they didn't want to say witch because of Lorraine Warren, because she's very witchy in the movie. She she exercises um, some supernatural powers almost when she's like calling God and things. So I think that that's why they didn't want to go with the word witch. I think there's that's a fair portion of it, I think, but I think there's also a like, this just might be me reading everything as slightly PC culture. Um, mm-hmm. Because it's 2021. Surprise, a lot of things goes through PC culture. Um, there's a known and growing section of the United States population that identify as witch. Or are sympathetic towards witchcraft. Or paganism, which sometimes will be equi- uh, equivalent to witchcraft and witch titles. Um so part of me says that, and part of me wonders if there might be some sort of... So you think about, how, do you know off the top of your head how long it's been between Conjuring 1 and Conjuring 3? Been a good couple of years. I would want to say a decade. So it looks like, all, almost, the first one came out in 2013, so it's been like eight years. Okay. Because um, in eight years globally things have been a little bit more conservative a little bit more careful about things and there's a lot of international markets that will that are actually kind of iffy about a lot of horror things because of what it what it shows 
And so I wonder mm -hmm. if there might be some major market even that's dealing with that. However, I do like the idea of using witch, like you, how you're describing it in your head of like why it would make sense to you. Mm -hmm. Because um, when you look at movies, in particular film trilogies, there's actually a very specific way that you're supposed to set up a film trilogy to make it a proper film trilogy. This one did not do it. However, that witch would have been a way of doing that. Mm -hmm. uh, do you mind if I explain this Please. setup for the trilogy? Um, so, when you have a trilogy of movies, especially if it's a trilogy of movies with the same characters throughout, or similar characters throughout, which for this would be Ed and Lorraine, and uh, I guess their cameraman is in at least two of them, which I'm so happy he's, he's in the third one again. I love Shannon. I he is so I precious. I do too. Um, loved him deserves, in Degrassi, love him now. He deserves to be in so much more. Of course, I think I first saw him in, in the 100, and that's... We don't talk about the seasons that he was in. Um, <laughs> but in a film trilogy, you set up your theme, and your theme is supposed to continue throughout the movies. However, to tie all of your movies together, you introduce a concept in the first movie that gets answered, or a string that gets pulled into the third movie. It doesn't have to be in the second one. It just has to have this through line that gets wrapped up nicely. And if you don't have that direct link back to the first movie, it's often, as far as like story writing, not considered a proper trilogy. Mm -hmm. And so like, this is a really random example. This is how I learned it. So I'm in a uh, film, uh, a film PhD right now. And uh, when we briefly discussed this, somebody outlined Kung Fu Panda um, as a perfect film trilogy. Okay. Um, which I appreciated. I was like, that's just off the wall enough that it makes it stick <laughs> in my head. Because the first movie is all about Po becoming the Dragon Warrior. He's already the Dragon Warrior in the second one, and he's not really talked about. He just mm -hmm. is. In the third one, the question that gets answered in the or asked in the first one of why did I become the dragon warrior is actually properly answered in the third one. Mm -hmm. And so this thread, this question gets pulled through. So having that witch in that idea of witchcraft and even if it probably would have even been, I guess it couldn't because Lorraine's still alive and she probably wouldn't like that. Um, but if she they died just, just was it last year or the year before she died very, very recently. But probably even still when it was being filmed and worked on and stuff. Yeah. But if they could just call Lorraine a witch and being like, here's the bad side. Here's your spirit mm -hmm. bad witch. Here's your living bad witch. Here's your good witch. Exactly. It would be nice and pretty in, in a bow. Because even then, it would include the second one in this, you know, thorough story because Lorraine was having all the premonitions and she inscribed the demon's name in the Bible. Like, that's some badass witch shit right there like that's she awesome was, like she was like scared of being witch and of her like visions and stuff in the second one and she's embracing them in this third one so like it's her coming into a proper witchcraft it's in and of itself Gross. missed opportunities man missed opportunities. but oh. I, I will say that 
I mean, I did enjoy parts of the film. And so back to the romance thing, some of the like the flashbacks when she's like trying to convince Ed to basically come out of the possession, I just thought they were really pretty. Um, it was, you know, that nostalgic feeling. She's talking about like buying a Coke like at a drugstore. I don't know. Or it just reminded me of like a story my grandma would tell me or something. So I really liked it. I will say the cinematography for all of these are so good. I think it's a uh, Leonetti, Leonetti, Leonetti. It's a cinematographer for them. Um, mm. And there are so many just shots that you could take like the still image or just take like a little tiny clip of like one shot in and of itself from cut to cut. And they are so good. So good. And I really appreciate the very first section of Conjuring 3 when they're trying to get the, the, the demon out of the little boy mm-hmm. because there are also so many horror throwbacks and homages happening here mm-hmm. like hiding in the shower and the shower being turned on full of blood and it's just perfect like that entire section of like the bathroom scare mm-hmm. cinematically like aesthetically amazing yeah, so like good. that uh, when when he the when David I think is like running with the like shard of glass like that that's like a very like almost like iconic like even child's play like uh, ter- terrifying thing where this like small little being is running at you like leprechaun or like anything like that um, that always makes me like ah <laughs> that was probably the scariest part in the movie and can we talk about that child actor. He is being dropped in so many horror things, but he is so good. So good. So good. What what else was he in? He was also, if I'm not mistaken, I'm pretty sure he was uh, one of the children in the first season of uh, Haunting of Hill House. You're right. Oh, my gosh. He was and young. Uh, the, the guy. Oh, my gosh. You're right. That's crazy. If I can find his name. And I just know because I don't know if that's like what he actually, uh, like if it's actually like he he has yeah he does have glasses in real life. So Julian. Oh my gosh! Also in Wandavision. Yeah, he was one of the kids. I was like, he is Ah. he's such a good little actor. He makes me happy. As I'm happy that he's continuing to get work. Yeah. And he's in. I thought there was something else that was, yeah, uh, Penny Dreadful, which is you know kind of pseudo horror in some ways. Mm. Um, yeah, so like I hope he continues. I hope number one he doesn't get typecast completely into horror. Mm-hmm. But number two, I would like to see where he goes if he continues beyond being a child actor, mm-hmm. because he's getting a lot of good roles, a lot of like you know attached to big projects right now, and I shouldn't say this, but I guess I. I probably end up saying it anyway on this podcast children are already creepy <laughs> and he manages yes. to pull off the creepy child fairly well <laughs> yes the the seat the like exorcism scene where he's on the table i mean it's, it's creepy uh but and i think that's part of to me why the conjuring is scary to a lot of people because every single one involves children in their home to some level yeah yeah it, it, it I, I think 
I guess that's kind of the piece that kind of flows throughout the three movies is this like family or relationships um, and like how that beats all like, you know, the family in the first and second movie, like they had to like stick together. Um, and then in the third one, it's really about Ed and Lorraine sticking together. But that, that I think the girlfriend me. sticks with the boyfriend in well, yeah. the trial and stuff. So, and in real life, they're still married, which is like crazy. Okay, if we're gonna talk about real life for a second, can I say that's one yeah. of the things that pissed me off about this movie so much? Is that like they made it seem like the whole demonology possession side of things was bigger than it actually was and was more influential than it actually was. So, yeah, like, the judge it did, threw out. Yeah, it threw him out completely. Yeah, didn't do it anything. Like, you can't do this. <laughs> I mean, they, it's, it is record setting in that it was the first time that it was used in U.S. court. So I recognize mm -hmm. that. But the end cut of this movie was like, well, he got like a lower sentence because. No. No. Which I mean, and that's not to say that like the jury wasn't influenced by, you know, this media circus and everything, because I'm sure that they were to a degree so i mean perhaps all of this did influence the the you know only getting five years well i mean he got like 15 to 20 for manslaughter but only serving five years like i think that there is uh i don't know i think some people felt lenient see that but it's just there's so many like i understand they're taking artistic license with these movies right. but at this point the way that they present them are so extremely wrong at least it, i mean it's to me it's easy to take the artistic license through the movie itself they're like little mm -hmm. end credits each time of like what happens after mm -hmm. they construe things so extremely in the this actually was real a real thing and really helped and you know no no, Ed and Lorraine <laughs> right. were famous, but they weren't that influential. Right. And that's not even talking about Ed and Lorraine, like, if they actually did anything to begin with. Okay, do we want to get into it? Because I kind of want to get into it. Yes, let's get into it. I know you did a little bit of looking at this. So, I, you know, okay, first of all, I consider myself a um, plausible believer. Like, I... I I've seen a few things that make me think uh, that there's more that I can understand. Okay, so let's let's do that since this is like first episode too. What are our beliefs about supernatural creepy shit? Because that's always a fun topic. I, I, I saw something that as a child that I swear to this day was something not of this world. And so I... Alien something or ghost something? Ghost something. Okay. So, I, I, I saw, okay, I'm going to sound ridiculous here, but I saw the Count from Sesame Street outside of my babysitter's window, but he, there was something off about him, and he, like, was kind of, like, ghosty at his legs and started, like, moving in, like, a zigzag, like, teleporty pattern towards the window, and I ran out of the room screaming, 
like, and I remember it to this day, that is something that happened to me, and so I know that there's weird things that happen in this world. That was the demon trying to get you to come outside, Cody. Yes, I know. (laughs) (laughs) I could have been David Glaxel. Are you open to supernatural in general, or just, like, ghosty demon stuff, or what? Is there a lot that you draw of, like, this is not real? I don't think so. I think I, I think I'm I'm too open that I I wouldn't put anything out. Um, I I mean I I think that my beliefs, you know, like I've I've messed around with tarot and a Ouija board. I'm not so certain that each time I did that, like I was opening a portal to the demonic, like uh, Ed and Lorraine or others have claimed. But who knows? I am a believer in a lot of things, which is very strange for me. A lot of people would say, it's like, hear me talk and think that I'm not. Um, But I have grown up in the Deep South, which I think is part of it. Mm -hmm. Growing up in the Deep South, supernatural in some ways is just expected as being part of the world. Um, Mm -hmm. I swear I had a ghost in my childhood bedroom because for years, I saw a white female figure in my closet that would come out of my closet. And it wasn't, it wasn't like every night, but it was like, you know, every couple of weeks, every month or two, she'd come out of the closet and just stand in my room and then go away. And my mom thought I was insane, but I'm like, there's a white lady that comes out of the closet and stands in my room and just like, there's no face or her neck. Like, it literally just looked like a dress floating. And it was like kind of see-through. And How did it, it make just... you feel? I wasn't. Like, were you scared? Like you know when people say like they see a ghost or a bad like something bad, they feel like it's like fear. I think I was more freaked out that there was something in my room that was not supposed to be. Like, so, the... but it it didn't feel like malevolent. No, I have felt okay. malevolent. I have felt malevolent things twice though. Because that's definitely what the count was. The count was malevolent. It was out to get me. I went on a ghost hunting thing um, when I was in high school. And it was one where we actually got to stay in this place overnight. And I saw red eyes in the dark. And it was to the point I was, like, in my bed frozen in fear. Like, that overwhelming, oppressive fear people describe. I swear that's what I saw in the somebody in the, like, the next room made a noise and it disappeared and I could move oh. it. And then I'm also a believer in some monsters because I have that a lot much. of friends that have had I yes but not in the like we are not smart enough to have like every like to think that we know everything about the world. And with the like distribution of large animals around the world, it would not surprise me if there is some sort of really hard to find mm-hmm. large animal that could pass as a like Sasquatch Bigfoot in yes. the north of, in North America. But I have a lot of friends that had, uh, and I know some people don't like when people say these words, but I am also living in the middle of a city, so I am safe at the moment to say these words. I apologize if you do not like this. Um, 
I have had friends who have had encounters, close encounters with skinwalkers, with Wendigos, with boo hags, mm. with all of these really fun things. And I know for certain that I had almost an encounter with one. I did not see it. I heard something strange. And there's kind of a saying in the South when you are around, if you're in the woods or something, or mm-hmm. out further away from civilization, so you're like on the farm further away and you see wooded areas and stuff. If the woods go quiet, you're in danger. And if you essentially, if you see something, no, you don't. If you hear something, no, you don't. Continue on your way. Um, mm-hmm. And it was kind of that situation of I was out in the woods trying to get from point A to point B between these two houses that my family owns are really far apart through this wooded path and I know that around these two farms there is nothing but dense wood this is it like north Georgia towards the Appalachian Mountains and everything mm-hmm. and the entire wood went completely quiet and when the woods are quiet that means that all of the animals simultaneously decided there is something mm-hmm. dangerous we're right. going to shut and hide and you don't know true fear until you're in the middle of fucking nowhere and all the sound stops. Mm-hmm. And you don't run if you're in those situations because all of the known monsters, supposedly known monsters in the South, are predators that like to chase. But it's like, okay, speed walking time. Don't look back. Don't look back. <laughs> just keep on your way. Uh, we're not going to stop and pick the flowers or look at the cool things anymore. We're just going to go. So I am 100% certain that I was in the area because i also heard something big moving mm-hmm. far enough away that i wasn't in danger what it was i don't know i don't want to know there's a reason why i started speed walking <laughs> so i'm a believer in a lot of things a lot of things i will say i there's a lot of like specific things that i'm like no that that's not real that's that's just fake that's weird you know psychological shit because we do know that there's a lot of uh, paranormal things that were thought to be paranormal that are like mental health related that we don't right. understand. Um, so like a lot of demon things that people experience are like sleep paralysis and night mm-hmm. terrors. And we understand these things now. But uh, yeah, and I think for some reason, I think when you accept the, the possibility of supernatural, it actually makes horror movies less scary. I agree. I, I think, and I think part of it is, and maybe this is completely counter, but I feel like it like gives you some agency, like in 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 dealing with the movie um, psychologically. If if you do kind of put some stock behind it, it it gives you more of like you're a player in the role. Whereas if you're just like watching it and you're like, I don't believe any of this, then the things that come up, um, yeah, they're more frightening because mm-hmm. you, you, you're you just watching, like you're completely out of control. So yeah. And I think That's it's a also point. a matter of a lot of, if you are at least open to the idea of the supernatural and you're interested in it, a lot of times you find out the rules of like, this is mm-hmm. how you deal with these things or don't deal with them and avoid them. And so then it, the horror movies to some extent become that like, you know, classic theater watching of like, why did you run up the stairs? The killer's right behind you. Now it's like, 
why are you fucking with the Wendigo? You're not supposed to look them in the eye. And right. we know why you're dead now when other people may not. Um, mm-hmm. So I think that's... But at the same time, what's interesting about The Conjuring is probably why I like The Conjuring for its film value, the three films itself. Mm-hmm. I don't necessarily like them for their horror value. Yeah. And I think it's also a matter of demonic possession is not something that I necessarily believe in, at least not the way that it gets presented and talked about Mm. in these movies, because these are very Catholic movies, very Catholic movies. Mm -hmm. Uh, But it's, let's talk about the, like, first movie, I think, because I think to me, the first movie is the best one out of all three. Yes, um, I really, really liked the second one, but I would agree that the first one is the best. Although I will say, they all have banger soundtracks. Like, especially the first and the second one, the soundtracks are stellar. But anyway, back to the first one. So, um, I think, for me, and I guess it's, it's about my horror taste, I like the slow burn horror. I like horror. I like horror movies until you get to that climax moment where everything's crazy and everybody's like running around and there's like blood and guts and everything. That's when I lose interest in horror. And mm. I feel like the first movie took its time and used that time it took really, really well. Mm-hmm. And I think that's what I appreciate about it so much because there's a whole bunch of like really small things and then it built. It didn't mm-hmm. start like it didn't start out with punching you in the face with supernatural stuff. It's like something really tiny of like I think what the very like first kind of creepy thing was them finding the basement and just kind mm-hmm. of the soundtrack picking up to like okay there's something creepy in the basement and then the clear acting of like them feeling uncomfortable with this. Mm-hmm. And so it starts off really small. It's kind of like tapping at you. That's so good. Yeah. And so I love that you mentioned that it's like tapping you because it makes me think of how they describe demonic possession in the movie. Like it, it, it has to wear you down. It has to get eat at your spirit. And I feel like that's kind of what the movie does. It keeps you like, it, it just gives you like a little piece of bread every so often. And then bam, it like lights up. Um, Cause you know, like when, and I've got to, forget the actress's name but the woman that plays the mother in that movie she was in the uh what was it the the haunting um the 90s movie classic um but anyway her acting in that movie is so fantastic her panic when she like goes to ed and lorraine's uh symposium or talk or whatever and like she's like begging them like you can hear in her voice that like this woman is scared Mm -hmm. and it's it's like I think also, and it, to me, I have this like list of like my favorite horror movies in my head. Unfortunately, I compare everything to like my favorite ones. I'm like, which is this closest to? Is it as good as these things in this way? <laughs> and um, to me, one of the really one of the better slow burn recent or more recent, I should say, because it came out like when we were in high school at this point, uh, <laughs> was. Uh, the woman in black with daniel radcliffe oh my gosh so good 
that movie was so good at slow burn. There, when you yes. think about it, there's not a whole bunch of like really scary things in and of themselves. It was <laughs> just this this tension and build up. And Conjuring 1 leans on that really heavily. Conjuring 2 starts to step away from that. And I think that's how the, the series started to go downhill for me. Is mm-hmm. it started to step away, and even in, Car- in Conjuring Three, there's you have like maybe a little bit of tension in that first section where we know that the guy is possessed, and we don't know what he's going to do. But after that, mm-hmm. there's not a whole lot in the rest of the film. Yeah. It's just these like big jump scare moments, and then chases more or less. Yeah, and- yeah, which is why it felt very action movie to me. It felt like a chase. Mm-hmm. And it felt like the the good guys were going after the bad guys. Is very much what it felt like. Mm-hmm. But I think what there's ideas around horror that the reason people are scared of these movies because we have to like we all know on some level when we go into a movie that these are not real. No matter how mm-hmm. much we get sucked into something, we know that we're watching fiction. Um, right. Even when they're based on a real story, um, they're fiction. But the reason we get so enraptured with horror is it shows us, number one, our, some of our worst fears. Number two, it shows us potentialities. And I think Conjuring 1, part of the reason that I like it is, other than the tension, is that they really ground everything on the potentiality of the invasion of the home. And that's one of your core horror themes. Every horror movie has a theme that it's being built off of, and it is the invasion of the home. Mm-hmm. And we actually have the invasion of the home with the kids. We have it introduced with Annabelle being at the house of the Warrens. Mm-hmm. And we make sure that people have this driven home because we have this connection between the Warrens and I forget the name of the the family in Conjuring 1, but the family in Conjuring 1 because they're connecting to each other as husband to husband, as wife Mm -hmm. to wife, as mother to mother, as father to father. And there are the moments of we're the same because we Mm -hmm. have a family and a home. And you get that over and over and over again. And I just, I can't speak enough about like there's a reason conjuring one created an entire conjuring verse right i don't think you could take create this multiverse of movies with any of the other ones that came after it mm-hmm. i don't think any of the rest of them are strong enough i would agree with that i do and this is the the nerd in me i like when monsters and bad things have more of a story behind them. Mm. Conjuring doesn't have that. And when they do have that, they have it as, we'll tell you in the following movie that's a spinoff. Which which happened in the second one, but Mm -hmm. the first one, we, you know, we we learned like this tiny much about Bathsheba, but nothing else. And Um, I think she would have been so much better if she had more. I agree. And and same with in the third one, the the witch or the Satanist or occultist or whatever they want to call her. Um, Isla, I think her name was. She's like you said, she's only in it for like maybe 10 minutes and that's being gracious. Um, and then 
we learn very little about her from her dad, which then she, spoilers, promptly kills, and then that's it. Like, we, we and I, it was just very weakly kind of thrown together. Like, oh yeah, she, she, she likes occult stuff because you went after occult. Which I'm imagining is going to be the announcement in a couple of months of the spinoff of this movie is going to be <laughs> the, we're going back in time to follow this guy fighting with this cult and seeing what how the daughter became the occultist. Um, because they can pull anything in the Conjuring movies into a spinoff. Because I think one of the other ones that's planned right now, that's in like pre-production phase, is The Long Man or whatever, which is like in the second movie for like 30 seconds. The Crooked Man. <laughs> yeah. I, he lives I in think a crooked house. As, yeah. he, he just looks like a rip-off Slenderman with a top hat. <laughs> That's, kind that's of. I was all... thinking like Slenderman meets Babadook. Yeah, yeah. Slenderman with like Babadook's like outfit. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And in that a 30 second monster were turning into a spinoff. So I would not be surprised since this movie is going over fairly well. Mm-hmm. Um, it's, of course, I will say it's getting watched, but I wonder how much of it getting watched right now since we have nothing else to watch. Because reactions are very similar to us of like, it's okay, but it's like not a Conjuring movie anymore. It's not a horror movie anymore. Yeah, I, I saw one uh, review that was like, it, it really lost, like what the Conjuring 1, the Conjuring 2, it like fell off of the track that that was on because both the Conjuring 1 and the Conjuring 2, it was Ed and Lorraine helping a family that was possessed. Conjuring 3, it like, it starts that way, but then by the end of the movie, it's Ed and Lorraine versus evil entity, families completely. I mean, there's the Arnie stuff when he's in the asylum, but because they're so disconnected, they're not together, it feels really different. They're not in the family home with the children that are, you know, Arnie presented as maybe a child, but um, older, um, wasn't... I don't know. I never felt for him the way that I felt for like the little girl that was in the wall in the conjuring one and her mother's after her to kill her like that. Like that's like, ah, (laughs) maybe because we didn't see much ghost there. It was just Arnie, you know, levitating and doing things. Maybe that's why, but it just, there was something off. It's, we didn't spend enough time with them. Yeah, because with the other ones, we spent most of the movie with the families. This one, if it wasn't Ed and Lorraine, I think the second you have like Ed and Lorraine, and the second most screen time is given to flashbacks of what Mm -hmm. this occultist lady has done in the past, and so we're getting Mm -hmm. essentially like five different stories in one movie, rather Mm -hmm. than two, which is what the others have had. Right. Yeah. I w- yeah. That makes perfect sense because we start out with the Glatzel family, and you know we have to see that the demon moved from the kid to Arnie, and then we have the Arnie arc, and then we have the jail, and then they are chasing the witch, and then we get the witch and the her dad's background, and then we get flashbacks into Ed and Lorraine when they fell in love, and it, it's a and lot. the teenage the entire like we're solving your like cold case of what happened to this teenager through the. I completely forgot about that. 
That was the part you fell asleep during. <laughs> I yeah, and and you know it's funny because I remember when I watched the trailer, there's a part that I thought was going to be like really good where like Lorraine is like almost dragged off that cliff, mm-hmm. but then it was like so like, plop, plop. like it just kind of let me down in the movie. It's just I, I don't know. I want to like it because the actor and actress for Ed and Lorraine are so good. They're so yeah. good. And 100%. To me, in some ways, they're getting better the more that they're doing this role. They're settling into it. Um, yeah. Which, I mean, is probably maybe part of the reason why they're like, we're going to give them more screen time. Um, but at this point, they just need to go ahead and say, hey, well, it's not The Conjuring, it's the Ed and Lorraine show. And uh, it's, it's no longer the series. <laughs> mm-hmm. But I'm try- I'm also trying to figure out because Ed and Lorraine, real life, claim to have investigated like thousands of things and helped in like thousands of cases. But mm-hmm. they're only really known for like five or six of them. Right. And they've gone through three. One of them has already been beat to death because it's Amityville. They were involved mm-hmm. in Amityville. Um and that's a whole separate series. There's like 13 Amityville movies at this point. Um, yeah. And the other one, if I'm not mistaken, that they're really well known for is actually the movie, or it actually became the movie Haunting in Connecticut. So okay. there's a separate film series that's been dead for like, I think the, the second movie of that came out in like 2013, 2014. Um mm-hmm. So I'm wondering if they even have the rights to that particular story. Because that's the other thing. All of these movies are based on the books that the Warrens wrote about their own investigations. Yep. Can we talk about how convoluted that is? Yeah, I mean, let's get into it. So uh, we we started uh, talking about like what we believe in and stuff, and so I definitely believe that there have been hauntings or you know negative energies. However, I I'm, I'm leaning that Ed and Lorraine were a bunch of con artists. Forgive me, Ed and Lorraine stands. I'm sorry. It's just the vibe that I get. Do they still have stands at this point? Are there people that are going to attack us about in Lorraine? Uh, I think we'll be surprised. It's like... I feel like some of our stuff is definitely just kind of either con or blown out of proportion. Mm -hmm. Some of it, I could say, is more understandable and might be real. Because I'm sure that they... I'm sure that some of the places they went, people really believe this. And mm-hmm. maybe some of these places and people really did have issues um, that were supernatural in nature. But they also had an agent. But they also had an agent. And I'm not saying that like, demonologists are a bad thing because demonology is a thing and we probably do need to have demonologists out there if you're like, you know, the bad entities are real things. We probably need mm-hmm. demonologists. We don't want to like dismiss that. Yeah. But the way that he gets, he hypes himself up, Ed hypes himself up. And mm-hmm. the way that these movies 
and you know other things based on the Lorens hype them up. They make it sound like he was the only demonologist in the world. Yeah. Well, and I mean, they they say like his claim to fame is he's like the one person that's sanctioned by the Catholic Church to do an exorcism or something. I don't know the truth behind that. Um, and, and they also make it like that's that's an issue I have with horror movies is their over reliance <laughs> on exorcism. Do you know how hard it is to get through the exorcism process with the Catholic Church? Right. It is like a years-long process of you have to get your local your, your local priest, and you have to get like the regional bishop, then you have to get the next cardinal for your up, <laughs> and then you have to finally get it approved by the like larger like one committee, two committees in the actual church. Then they actually have to get find the specialist and exorcism. They need evidence. Yeah, and you have to prove it every step of the way over and over and over again, and. So, exorcisms are extremely rare, yet we overuse them in horror to the extreme. <laughs> and it, to me, it makes me really question whether or not he actually is <clears throat> condoned by the Catholic Church. I mean, maybe he was, there might be something in like, since the, he started to now that the Catholic Church has been more strict about things because of the dangers of exorcism. Because um, it's a physically taxing process on mm -hmm. everybody involved. And that's why they don't like doing it very often. Um, because it can, it can cause serious health problems. Um, but I really want to say like the Catholic Church is not going to trust some random dude no matter how pious he is right <laughs> to do exorcisms willy-nilly and and then there's lorraine <laughs> yeah so i okay so i think she's a really interesting fascinating person and i i think that she may have been goaded a lot by ed but i do wonder if maybe there was like something like maybe she did see auras or, or something and you know so she would get or maybe she just had really good intuition i don't know but i do feel like there's a little bit more to her than to her husband if that makes sense mm -hmm. i think they said she's claims to be a trance medium trance oh. medium yes so from my limited understanding of trance mediums um, I know more about other sides of sensitives and witchcraft and stuff than I do mediumship itself. Um, mm -hmm. Trance mediums are mediums that have to put themselves, and this is where I get, I understand it and it makes sense, but at the same time, it makes me question a lot of things. They have to put themselves into altered states of being. So they have to put themselves into a trance in order to see or feel or sense anything. So mm -hmm. like the movies already kind of portray it wrong where she just all of a sudden immediately, you know, has a vision. Mm -hmm. It's more accurate to what you see like in Conjuring 1 where she's staring at the thing and she seems to kind of freeze. Cause you mm -hmm. can put yourself into a trance with reflections and lights and stuff like that. Um, mm -hmm. So it made sense in Conjuring 1. It makes less and less sense as the movies go on. Um, and I think it was 
Conjuring 2, that one I feel like portrayed that kind of well when she, they're at like a, like a seance um, and all of it goes like black and white. And then she's kind of like taking on the role of the, the killer, the guy with the gun. That kind of felt more like that, but we didn't really see like, I mean, was she huffing smelling salts beforehand? Like we didn't see that. Um, but, but that's interesting. Thing that makes me question, because it on kind of the supernatural side, it makes sense to go into an altered state of being to see things that are not completely in our current state of reality, our current mm-hmm. state of understanding. But at the same time, I guess it's kind of that ingrained teaching that you get when you learn about like the oracles and like ancient Greece and stuff, where they're like in temples that are constantly (laughs) full of like opium and that's how they have their visions because they are constantly high because they're constantly like drugged up and so i also like i guess that that's the part of me that says if you're going to do this type of stuff you have to also have the scientific side of things every like every ghost hunting group needs to have scientific equipment needs to have mm-hmm. kind of your skeptic there that's what i appreciated about the second one was that they brought in these characters of the skeptics that are pushing back all the time you really need to mm-hmm. prove you really need to prove you really need to double check because i don't know about you when i get too drunk or too doped up on something i start seeing things and i know it's not anything supernatural the walls just start melting on their own and my walls are perfectly fine. So quick story. Um, I don't think my employer's gonna listen to this, but when I first moved to Oregon, <laughs> um, pot is legal out here. And I, I went and I got a, um, a chocolate bar. Uh, I ended up eating the whole bar and that was far too much. And so I'm laying in bed, uh, the lights are off and I'm, I'm looking through the doorway and I'm, I'm convinced that there's a demon there that's trying to get me. But I'm also like, no, there's not. I'm just really, really high. And so for the, I could not fall asleep until like 4 a.m. because I was just looking out into the dark hallway. <laughs> so yes, I'm sure I could have visions if I was cracked out of my mind most of the time. Yeah, and I mean, we don't know for sure if she was taking anything. She may not have been taking anything, but anytime that you put yourself into intentionally introduce this concept of altering your state of mind or something like that, you need to come at it from a more critical point of view than a believer point of view, at least in Mm -hmm. my, even if you are a believer, you need to stop yourself and like second guess and question everything that's happening. And I don't know that the Warrens, did that and even if they did they made it sound like they didn't um, right. and so it's I really need to get my hands on some of their books and see just how nitpicky they are with themselves like how exaggerated it might feel yeah um, is it gonna feel more like a biography or is it gonna feel more like a adventure novel like what what is it <laughs> how is it written especially since they've gotten popular with these movies and all of the people that have come like worked with them in the past were coming back and saying, yeah, that's not how that happened. Or right. they weren't really here or they were here mm-hmm. for a day. 
and that's been the, the kind of the fascinating kind of tea side of things, I think. And while we're talking about that, so the, this third one I was mentioned to you, it's under a lawsuit by two people, I think, but uh, the brother of the first kid, David, that was possessed, uh, has, I guess, claimed that it was all David's mental illness or his intellectual disability, and everyone else just blew it out of proportion. Um, there was never any possession or anything. Like, so he completely denies it and says that, like, they're making it all up. Mm-hmm. And I think the second one, if I'm not mistaken, the number one, they were, like, the family came back and said they were there for, like, a day and a half. They didn't right. do all of this. Like, they weren't the nice people, like, fixing our house for us and taking us out to, like, ice cream and stuff. They came and they went and they were, like, one of 50 different paranormal teams that came and went. Um, mm-hmm. Number two, pretty sure that the kids have since come out and said we were faking it all. It, I it was didn't hear that. Yeah. <laughs> Don't quote me on that because I'm not 100% sure, but I am pretty sure that at least one of these three that were involved, the children came back now that they're like adults, like past adults are in their 60s now or something. They're like, mm-hmm. yeah, no, that was all made up. We we didn't do that. Uh, you, you fact checking me really fast. <laughs> yeah, I'm like looking it up. I'm like, okay, infield poltergeist, like, uh... I guess, like, a stage magician and some other people criticize the PIs for uh, being credulous while also identifying features of a case as being indicative of a hoax. I don't see any... Um, I'll double check that myself, but I'm, I, I swear there was something that one of these kids, one of these kids were like, yeah, no, we made it up. And it wasn't necessarily in response to The Conjuring. It was more in response to, like, the lingering. Because all of these stories that they've done with The Conjuring movies were big enough cases that they were well-known to a certain extent. And so there's this level of them continuing to kind of linger for a while. And so Mm -hmm. when you involve children, the children are going to come back and say something about it when they get older. Um, Right. But that also, I mean, you know, what does a child know, like, when when perceiving things like that? Like, so I, I read uh, when I was in undergrad, it was like an anthropological thing about how, how kids are closer to the supernatural because, you know, I don't know, they're, they're closer to whatever is not living um, or the spirit world, if you will. So, like, their perceptions of things distort what's really there or what's really happening. And so maybe I saw the count because that's all my child brain could perceive or or could conclude that that's what it was, that maybe it was something, like, far, far worse. There's actually... That that terrifies me. There's actually multiple interesting takes on why children see things more than adults. There's some of it that says that it's essentially training and conditioning. Uh, you can train anybody not to notice something. Mm-hmm. And when you are growing up, you are trained to ignore your flights of fancy eventually. You are trained to like, you know, the world is this and you only see this because that's what you've been told. Mm-hmm. Um, there's the arguments 
that are kind of based off of what you said that are a little bit more on the religious side that kind of see this the spirituality the continuance of spirit and mm -hmm. so you're tr when you are alive you are transitioning from one realm of being to another realm of being so that's why children and old people see things more because they are yes. more recently from this plane or they're about to go to this plane mm -hmm. um and the other one that I've heard a lot, kind of talked about, is just the, the fact that, and this is this is based in science to some extent, that children may be seeing and hearing things that we can't see and hear because we physically can't. Because as we age, we start to hear a more limited range mm -hmm. of sounds. We start to see a more limited range, both in depth, because I'm... I'm wearing contacts. I'm near about blind. Um, but also, the, there's synapses in your brain that stop working. That's why when you're a child, the world is actually more colorful. Mm -hmm. It is brighter and more saturated because there's more of these synapses that are firing in your head that make it look more colorful. So if you can see more colors in more detail, you might be seeing things that an older person can't. And so... Mm -hmm. I, I truly believe that children and old people are connected in some way because of something. What mm -hmm. it is, I don't know. But at the same time, and this is a matter of, I guess the question is, do they feel like they have to come out and say it was faked to get people to leave them alone? Or did they genuinely fake it and then they were just scared to say anything for a long time because i don't know about you there were many moments like when i was a kid i lied to my mom and i kept up that lie for a little while because i'm like i'm gonna be in more trouble now that it's continued and so it just needs to continue yeah <laughs> on like a global scale so arnie the the main i guess possessed person in the third one um he maintains that obviously that it was all true the warrens were there david was possessed and then he became possessed obviously he wants to maintain that so that you know he's not a murderer but um and, and he says that it's all just a monetary ploy like they want because i guess they sued for like i don't know like 900 million or something outrageous um i don't know where it went but uh so it, it's just there's so many options about what could what parts of it could be true, what parts of it could be inflammatory or made up. And I guess and we'll never know. Well, it's also interesting too that the cases. I guess again, it kind of goes back to what scares us and why things scare us to some extent. But the cases that they are most well known for are the cases that involve children. Mm-hmm the cases that they distance themselves from are the cases that involve primarily adults. Because like, would be a very good strategy if you want. Especially if you think about them potentially kind of like gaslighting the kids. Yeah. Because it's easier to trick kids into believing something if they're in the right oh, age yeah. ranges. Plant a seed in the youngest head and by the end of the night all of them are going to think that the house is haunted. Mm hmm So, because, like, I think their connection to Amityville, they went 
but then they said that it wasn't actually like the, the the family wasn't haunted the house was but the house didn't do anything to the family like it was just the family was psycho in, in and of themselves like crazy um because i think the quote is something along the lines of uh it, it's the true ghost story here is the house and the land mm-hmm. and so and, and the other one that gets a lot of attention which is the one that gets turned into the haunting of connecticut or in connecticut there are two movies that legitimately are like two words off of each other it's like (laughs) one there is one of them has the at the front and it's haunting in or of connecticut and so i always get them mixed up but um they went into that one and if i'm not mistaken there was one child involved really but he was a teenager and they left that one because they turned around and said there was not actually haunting there. There was other issues in the family, like alcoholism and drugs and everything that was causing this. And mm. then they kind of dropped it. And so, I don't know. It feels weird to be discussing whether or not they're a con artist. But at the same time, too much of this is too convenient. And... Yeah. Well, they are living in a time where everything is not recorded and it makes me suspicious, which is bad. <laughs> now, of give me baseline opinions of the three movies. Favorite, least favorite, best, worst. If okay, you had to so pick yeah, a scene. <laughs> okay, ooh, ooh, okay. Conjuring 1 is definitely the best. Um... I think one one of my favorite scenes in that movie, and it, it it's funny because it parallels to a scene in Insidious, uh, which is also James Wan and Patrick Wilson. But um, when Ed and Lorraine James are Wan, at that's the, it. <laughs> <laughs> when they're when they're at the the house and they're out by the tree that you know Bathsheba hung herself from, and Lorraine is looking at Ed, and right next to him you see the like dangling feet from the hanging on the tree. Um, I really liked it. It was, it was both a kind of jump scare. Like it was like, whoa, like there's a mm-hmm. feet there. But also I feel like it added a little bit more of the backstory to the, the, the ghost, which we didn't get a lot of, but we, you know, we learned she did hang herself and we eventually we learned why she hung herself and what she said when she hung herself. Um, and so I really, really liked that. And it, the scene in Insidious, you've seen it, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. Where Patrick Wilson sitting at the table and then the red face is like right there. Oh, so good. But anyway, that would probably be the my favorite scene. Um, and then it just goes one, two, three in order of best to worst. Second and third ones. Uh, the second... Um, Okay. I really, I really did actually like the Crooked Man. Um, at least the, I think it was, I think there's two parts with him. And the first part is when the kid is like looking at the toy and it's like going around and round and then it vanishes off the toy and it's yeah. like right behind him. I loved that as like a jump scare. But I think one of the creepiest parts was when they're in the room and all the uh, crosses or what's the other word for them? Crucifixes. Crucifix. 
yes when they all start to flip upside down like that like i'm not like a a very um religious person i think i'm more spiritual but that scene really creeped me out i think for me i think the first one is the best Mm -hmm. and i paid attention to it the most uh the second one well as a complete piece the first one is good i like some of the scripting that happens in the second one but as a complete piece it just starts to fall a little bit short because we start shifting again away from horror more towards romance or action um that slow progression downhill um I think the first one, the scene I'd have to say was the most engaging to me was in when Lorraine was in the basement under the stairs looking in the mirror, like checking mm-hmm. behind herself and just have it because I mean, that's the creepiest thing that you can do in any horror situations. And when you are trying to find the bad thing mm-hmm. through something else. Like, that would be terrifying no matter what. And then the fact that it's just, like, spinning things, you don't even get a clear picture of what's behind you. Like, just, I feel like, conceptually, that's what hit me the most. Cinematically, I do think the feet hanging one is probably the better, like, the most cinematically good horror moment. But, like, conceptually, that mirror scene, just, Mm -hmm. no. Yeah, that would be terrifying. Like, if you put yourself in her shoes, like... It's amazing. Like she, that's a brave woman because I would have been hissing myself. And that's another one of those like moments where you kind of scream at the, like, you want to scream at the screen because it's their job. It's good that they're not running, but at the same time, you really want them to run. Like, yeah. why are you sitting there? You know, it's not going to end well. <laughs> to me, I think I have, I don't think there were too many scenes in the second one that I actually enjoyed. I think, like, shot-wise, just kind of pretty would be the ending where they're in the room and we have Ed hanging out the window. Like, just that setup and the the way the the different angles and stuff that they have was pretty. Mm -hmm. I like more scenes out of the third one, actually. Uh, Even though I don't like the... it's it's, Again, the third one is, like, five movies in one. And Mm -hmm. so there are scenes from each of the movies that are good in the third one. Right. I think one of the best scenes, and it's, I guess to me, is to some extent a sense memory, because I don't know if you ever experienced them, but when I was growing up, my mother had a waterbed. And a lot of younger people don't have waterbeds or don't know what waterbeds are anymore. And I remember Mm -hmm. as being a child, being kind of like in the back of my mind, what if something actually gets in this waterbed one day? Would I be able to feel it and see it? And oh. having that waterbed scene where you see the thing moving through before it pops out. Oh, yeah. It's just like a sense memory that makes me so uncomfortable and it's shot so <laughs> nicely and so simply a waterbed in the middle of a room that's lit by sunlight. Mm-hmm. And yet it's so effective for that yeah. simplicity. And that so I think that's probably my favorite out of the third. And yeah, the second one just really didn't, other than me appreciating that they actually had skeptics for once. 
Because mm. I in the first film, the police officer was supposed to kind of be a skeptic, but then he was a skeptic for like two minutes before something happened and he believed. Yeah, he uh. was very on board. <laughs> but I think... I don't, I'm just sad that it, it seems to be getting progressively worse. Yeah. I'd, so, so one scene that I loved and hated was the scene where they're in the morgue and Lorraine is connected with the occultist or whatever. So the, what I what I did enjoy about it was the the corpse that was brought to life. I, it was it was kind of cheap, but it I enjoyed it. What I didn't enjoy was the um, like Ed yelling at Lorraine to like come back, and it just it worked at the last. It, it just felt too um, convenient. I yeah, convenient. Thank you. I was like, you said the word earlier. It felt too convenient, and it also felt like like duh, Lorraine. Like you've been looking through this woman's eyes. Like you had to have known that that connection was two-way like she just realized that oh crap the cultist is in on me as much as i'm in like come on like i i, I don't believe at that point in her life that that woman is that dumb okay i don't, don't know come, i'm gonna come back to that that dead body in a moment because okay. i have strong feelings about that dead body um <laughs> i will say that was another thing that like aesthetically was really cool was what happened like mm -hmm. in after that when ed sees the occultist in the house standing at their table mm -hmm. and it's that kind of shadowy ghost like figure with the glowing eyes and she fades away and the last thing you see is the glowing eyes that was like some top tier special effects choices being made because <laughs> i remember that was one of the parts of like i started losing interest i started falling asleep but i woke back up for that i actually remember with pausing it record like rewinding it so i could watch that specific little like section again because i'm like that is really cool that was really mm -hmm. good looking the dead body <laughs> <laughs> was good in that it provided menace that i had not felt for the rest of the movie yeah i hated it though i yeah it's cheap right like, yeah, yeah. And on multiple levels, it's like mm -hmm. it, it brought in the other movies, and I think that's part of the reason why this we say like the Conjuring Three isn't a horror movie because there's not that there's not that dread coming in. Mm -hmm. There's not that like the other ones that felt like these things could get anybody at any time. Mm -hmm. Conjuring Three, you didn't have that. The demon had the one dude in. There wasn't any other danger really, except for that dead body and when they get trapped in like the undercroft at the very end of the movie. Mm -hmm. There was no physical danger to the rest of the cast. Yes. And so it provided that and it, the movie really needed it. Mm-hmm. But and it wasn't even that the dead body looked bad, it was pretty good like makeup artist, like a practical effect suit mm -hmm. but number one it felt like you're trying to introduce zombies into a demon ghost movie mm -hmm. and number two what felt cheap to me is that 
when you understand how they build monsters, they try to get you to have a gut reaction to something, usually of disgust. Disgust is the mm -hmm. easiest thing that can be linked to fear. That's why torture porn exists, is we're trying right. to gross you out to make you scared. So they just decide we're going to make a, an extremely obese dude that looks wet and nasty. And that's how we're yeah. going to dis make you disgusted and make you fear it, this thing. It even moved in the same way as, uh, have, have you seen Dawn of the Dead? Yes. The the fat woman that gets out of like the wheelbarrow, like it moved the same way. And even like in the like, you know, it took off in a mad dash towards Ed. And it's like. And it even has a soundtrack of like the really heavy, like overly done footfalls. I mean, yeah. Yeah. A bigger person is going to make more noise when they move, but they don't sound like they're bringing the house down around you when they run at you, I promise. Right. Uh, and so it, it was, it felt like, it felt out of place in the way that got introduced, and then the monster itself was just like, you could have figured out something way creepier mm -hmm. that would still fit, so like, that was like disembodied limbs and stuff crawling or something like that. That would have been really creepy and it wouldn't make yeah. me feel the same way. And it's still touching on disgust because disembodied body parts are nasty. Mm -hmm. Or I... even like they could have done something cool with like insects coming out of the body and mm -hmm. like crawling over. Like that is like a huge like. Um, yeah, so it did feel very cheap, um, but I do agree that it, it needed that, that like, fear moment because it had kind of lulled into a, you know, crime, like, they're figuring out what's going on, but there wasn't really any real threat or danger. Um, Yet another genre I that we dip into in this movie is it's also, it's also a, a crime movie, a let's solve it movie. <laughs> yeah, there's a court case happening. Um, but I think that for me, what I look for most in horror is the the villain, the bad guy, the monster pursuing the protagonist or the main characters. But when it's whenever it's the other way around, if it's not fighting back, but if it's actually the good guys pursuing the bad guys, for me, that's when I lose what I like in horror. Because then it becomes more of like an action, good versus evil, it, even an adventure story, which kind of is what happened, I feel like, in The Conjuring 3. Once they realized, once they made the connection, okay, it's this guy, it's his daughter or whatever. And, you know, there's the high-speed chase. Ed is, like, driving super fast to the farm. And, like, we see, like, him driving and they figure out that it's next to the railroad. And it just, it lost me when it did that. Um, I would have... I'm not sure even what I would have preferred to have happened. Maybe, uh, I, I, I don't know. I, I don't know that there is really any fixing it, but that's well, I what wonder, loses interest for me. Because it sounds like the danger to the protagonist is what interests you. Yeah. So I would, if there was more kind of a tit for tat back and forth of actual menace thing, every, everything that they find out, something actually dangerous happens to them, something else pops up, I mean, they kind of did when they have that, like, find out what the girl did and she almost goes over the cliff. Like, mm -hmm. that was danger, but there wasn't a physical presence there. Like, just imagine that the occultist, 
uh, summoned a another being to pop up and threaten them there. Do you think that would help you sh kind of shift to more back and forth? That might help. Yeah, I I think so because I I and I get yeah I think that I never really thought that Ed or Lorraine were in any real danger. And maybe it's because this is the third film in the installation and I knew that they weren't going to kill off the main characters. You know, I mean, that could just be the curse of um, horror. But like when I compare some a franchise like this to like a franchise like uh, Friday the 13th or even Scream, I mean, Scream has had, you know, a really strong main cast. But Scream is also very um, accustomed to getting you attached to new characters and then killing them off, which I, I somewhat appreciate. Um, and I know that in these movies, we don't really see anyone die. Like, the family is usually all together. In the first one, though, the dog did die, Sadie, and that was really sad. Um, do you want to talk about it? I I hate when movies kill off animals. Like I, <laughs> and thank you for reminding because I conveniently forgot about that. I uh, blocked it from my mind. I'm one of the people who go on DoesTheDogDie.com and check before I start watching things. Mm -hmm. Like, and it's it's I watched it because it was like yeah, it dies, but it's not like you know super close up. And you don't mm -hmm. hear like suffering like. Out. Did you ever watch uh, Signs? Yeah. Then the dogs die outside in the middle, and you hear them like yelping and like trying. I turned off the movie the first time. I am more affected by a dog dying than literally any other thing on screen. <laughs> so I, mm -mm. no, I was not happy with that. Fair enough. But anyway, I, you know, in the first two movies, there was at least the threat, the threat that the family was going to die or the threat that uh, the, the kids were going to die. But I didn't feel that in the third one. And I guess, yeah, there was the threat of Arnie dying. And maybe it was because I knew the real story and I knew that Arnie lived. I, I don't know what it was, but for some reason, there was just that that aspect of fear or danger that I felt like was missing for a lot of it. I think it's it's like you said the the well the like we've said throughout this this podcast we're circling back tying up like all of these things to some extent it was too action movie action movie-esque too romance movie-esque so we lose the tension and the terror which i will talk about in another podcast um the, the idea of horror versus terror which is a very real thing and very important um, we lose that in this movie that was not built up at all. Mm -hmm. um, and you have the, the like protagonists won't die, but there's a lot of other movies where the protagonist continues to be there and they still manage to be horrifying. And I think it's just a weaker writing mm -hmm. and less attention to detail. And I want to know what the production schedule was. I wonder if this production schedule was affected by COVID at all. Hmm. Because if it was, it might affect it a little bit. Um, but yeah, it's... it's. 
I don't think I... it would have been because, I mean, at least Farmiga, she apparently finished in August 15th of 2019. Okay. So maybe so post-production was messy, but... Well, post-production can be messy and it shouldn't affect the overall, overall plot that much. It just makes for sloppy scenes when you have mm. post-production messed up. I'm just... I, I, and I don't want to be, like, overall, like, negative about The Conjuring Verse because they are decent horror movies compared to some others that we get. Mm-hmm. Um, Fair, yes, 100%. And they manage to continually be, for the most part, kind of unsettling mm-hmm. compared to some others. But the longer The Conjuring Verse goes, the less impressed I am with the movies that are coming out. Yeah. I would agree with that, I think. Um, I think one of the, the newer ones that I really enjoyed, though, was Curse of La Llorona. Um, I liked it. I, I, I thought it was creepy. Um, I also really liked the actors and actresses in that movie. But um, that, That'll be a, a podcast in the future, a, a La Llorona and, like, weeping white women horror movies and monsters. That's a whole thing in and of itself because the issue I have, just preview, two La Llorona movies came out at the same time. Oh, Conjuring really? Verse 1 and an actual, like, Hispanic, you know, uh, Latin American made and based one. And because that is a Latin American figure, they handled it so much better. Of course. I didn't and, know that. Mm-hmm. So we'll we'll plan that in the future of a, a La Llorona weeping white women, you know, episode just to talk about all of that. Yes. But I think that's going to be it for us, unless you have any closing thoughts that you want to share. I mean, definitely see it. I mean, it, it wasn't bad as much as I think that we <laughs> kind of trashed it maybe a little bit, but... It, it really wasn't bad. Um, it's slower than the other ones. Don't expect what you got in the other ones. But I, I liked it. I think it's a good horror movie for non-horror movie people. Yes. It feels kind of like an entry horror for people that don't usually watch it or are not huge fans. We're just cursed that we watch too much horror stuff and so we have very strong opinions. Honestly, yes. (laughs) But uh, definitely watch it if you have the chance. It's one of the only movies that are out in the United States right now. And then if you have HBO Max, guess what? It's already there for you. Um, And this is not sponsored by HBO Max, but if you want to eventually, we will certainly take your money. Um, But uh, it's not the worst it's uh, better than other things. If you're not a horror person, it's probably like if you're trying to get your like girlfriend, boyfriend, uh, significant other, whatever they choose to be going by, um, to go watch a horror movie with you, this is one they probably won't mind as much because there's not enough in the movie to give them nightmares afterward. Um, yeah. <laughs> so just take it like that. This is a level one horror movie. And that's our issue with it, because we went from Conjuring 1, which is like a level 3 horror movie, to a level 1 horror movie in this franchise. We should, since this is a monster manual, we should give all of the horror movies we talk about a, a challenge rating. This would Ooh. be a challenge rating, like, one half. You're, you're, you're going to be fine. Yeah. 
so that that's the the one for the uh movie itself now last challenge for this cast before we wrap it up each of the entities from each of these three movies what do you think that the rating from a like one to five star five being the scariest i don't want to deal with this one being like yeah that's kind of creepy but meh what so uh Bathsheba Bathsheba from the first one star rating uh she she's gonna be pretty close to the the high end uh she she was vicious um you know murdered her own baby in the name of Satan so so I'm gonna rank her pretty high I give her maybe a three. Oh, yeah she she's scary and that she was affecting yeah, she was she was affecting I think the scary thing to me is that she was affecting multiple people at once. But there wasn't enough of her that was menacing in and of itself that makes me uncomfortable. So okay. what about our demon nun from the second movie? Uh not considering the nun movie that gave it background. I'll I'm gonna say a two. I, I I wasn't that scared. I don't think of it in general, um, and I didn't perceive it really to be that powerful. Um, so yeah, I'm gonna say a two. I could say two, but to me, she came off as slightly more creepy than Bathsheba because of the number of times that she just kind of appears and like that ominousness of the, the nun painting. Um, <laughs> it gave her more of a presence than our wonderful Conjuring One Witch had, at least in my opinion. Fair enough. Now the occultist. The occultist was definitely the most powerful out of, I think, all three villains. However, I didn't really find her that scary. I, I don't know what they could have changed in her gait or the way that she moved. She moved very quickly um, in a, a, you know, calculated pace, I guess. I don't know. But I didn't really find her that terrifying. She was bony and that was kind of, I think they could have leaned into that maybe even a little bit more. They put her in like, you know, like an Abigail Williams puritanical style dress, which I think was a little too, um, too on the nose. Like, I think they could have dressed her differently to really amp up the terror of her. But instead they put her in that like pristine and it just, and, and then that frustrated me even more that they're going to pull from, you know, which culture uh, or witch history, even if Abigail Williams wasn't actually a witch, um, but they're taking that to kind of develop this perception that this is a witch, but then it kind of fell short, in my opinion. So you're like a one, maybe, if that? Oh. For, for terror, yes. For power, maybe she would go up to a three, because, I mean, we did see her do some pretty terrifying things, um, she did exercise a lot of power over different people, and t she had all these totems and these tools and the powder that 
blinded uh, Ed. I mean, so I, I, I think that that villain could have been the most interesting, and I just wish that they would have developed it more than really going the five different routes that they went. So I guess, yeah, I'm going to give give her a one. I think even with her power level, it didn't even feel that threatening necessarily. Because she, she essentially exerted power over a demon. And that's the only thing that she really felt like she exerted power over. Because even like when you talk about the, the fat dead dude, it was in his mind. <clears throat> it wasn't a real thing. And so that's exactly what the other two did to some extent. So she has the exact, in some ways, the exact same powers of the demons. It's just that she can reach further than and the demons she, did. She crumbled, uh, we'll say, under the pressure of the demon, like, so quickly. Like, it, it didn't feel like, you know, I, I when I think of, like, super powerful witches, like, they, they trick demons. They use demons. Demons are, you know, cannon fodder to them. And she was like, without the demon, she was nothing. So it was really more like a, I don't know, like a, a genie type situation where she's getting power from the demon. Whereas when I think of really scary witches, I'm thinking of witches that are exerting their powers mm-hmm. onto demons. So yeah. That, that would have been a good just embrace the action movie, have the demon witch fight at the very end. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, so... Not very high rankings for our conjuring uh, ghosts, and not necessarily even pretty really high rankings for the movies themselves. Yeah, um, they're good movies. They are not the scariest things. They just have moments. Yes. But with that, I think we're done for tonight. We'll see you in a couple of weeks for another uh, episode. Hope you have a good one. I hope you have a scary one. And go watch some horror movies, y'all.